Well, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Hebrews, chapter 5. On Wednesday night, while teaching on discerning God's will, I was reminded of this, of this passage. And I went back and looked, and I think I preached out of Hebrews, chapter 5, uh, about four years ago. Uh, or so, but you can't remember what I preached last Sunday, so it's totally all right. I can't remember what I preached last Sunday, so <laughs> um, we're going to look about look at about growing in our faith. Um, I was talking to somebody at a graduation party about about sports, and um, I was recalled a new football coach or new soccer coach, when they come in, sometimes you'll hear them say, they'll interview the new coach, and they'll say, you know, well, coach, what are you going to do to turn the team around? And the coach will say, well, we're going to get back to the basics. We're going to go back to the fundamentals. We're going to get back to blocking and tackling. And, and that's, a, that's a good strategy because sometimes we, we forget our way. Sometimes we need to go back. I can remember uh, a book that Chuck Swindoll wrote that was very instrumental, Lord used in my life whenever I was a young believer, called Simple Faith. And he just basically took me back to the basics. You know, it's, it's easy to get a lot of things swirling in your head, trying to figure out theological quandaries, and you can just get lost in the weeds, and when that happens, you just need to, to run back to the, to the basics. There's also a danger, though, of staying too long in the basics. There's a danger of staying too close to home. There's a danger of never maturing in your, in your Christian faith. While we must know the, the fundamentals, that, that is fundamental, that is the starting block, in the Christian life we're encouraged, even commanded, to move on to maturity. Salvation means that we possess spiritual life. A lot of things in the Bible Jesus used to, to help us grasp and to understand truths. And so in Ephesians 2, he says, You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you're dead spiritually. Now you've been made alive. You've been quickened. You've been given life. And that which lives grows. If I was looking at some plants in my in my uh, landscaping that didn't make it through the didn't make it through the winter, and there's about three different phases. There are these little bushes that they're all the same. I planted them all at the same time, did the exact same thing to them, as far as I know. There's some that are that are growing, and and they have all of their leaves, and then there are others that are trying to grow, and there's a there's a dead branch here, and it's. Um, you know, shriveled leaves, and then there's a couple that are just, they're just dead. There's nothing, there's nothing on them. God expects you and your spiritual life, just like we would expect a plant, something that is alive, He expects you to grow. That which alive grows, and that means maturing. I was driving down Timberlake Road this past week, and I saw... Uh, at the at the bank building right before Hardy's, they had a big uh, you know, a little bobcat machine in there, grapple grappling thing on, it. and it was tearing out mature landscaping trees because it no longer could fit. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with it. This is they wanted those small little plants in that area. 
And whatever you plant, whatever is alive, needs to, to grow. And, and the writer of the book of Hebrews addresses a problem that, that, that the believers of Italy, I believe, faced and, and that you and I faced. And it's a problem of spiritual immaturity. And as Christians, we can know a little or we can know a lot. And, and for the most part, I would say here, we know a whole lot more than we obey. Would you agree with that? I mean, we hear more biblical preaching in a week between what you hear on Sunday, what you hear in your Sunday school class, what you hear on the radio. I mean, we have we are blessed people, and I would say we know far more than we obey. And when we stand before the Lord, we'll, we'll give an account not only for how much we know, but how much we put in practice as well. Obedience requires knowing and doing. You can't obey something that you don't know, so knowledge is not bad, but you don't stop with knowledge. You put it into practice. And the problem that's addressed in the book of Hebrews was a failure to move on from knowledge to obedience. And and when they did that, they actually declined. They slipped backwards and Paul calls them spiritually immature. The letter, I think, was, as I've already said, was written to Jewish Christians, I believe probably in Italy. Um, I don't know who wrote the book. Some people attribute Apostle Paul, some people others. The writer of Hebrews doesn't give his name. But they were being persecuted, and they were running a risk of turning back to, to Judaism. Hebrews 13.22 tells us the, the letter was written as a word of exhortation, instructing them, don't do that, don't turn back. And there are actually five warning passages. Like if you would want to look at an outline of the book of Hebrews, there are five warnings that are given to, to, these, to these Jewish believers not to turn back to Judaism, to keep on. And, and this is one of those five passages, the, the text we're going to look at tonight. It's the danger of apostasy, the danger of, of, of turning away. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 5, gives one of the reasons that they were tempted to turn back and they were tempted to fall away. And it's a great encouragement to us to, to keep on track as well. Let's, let's begin reading in verse 11. And we'll read through verse 6, 1. You want to pick up the entire context, so we go back to verse 6 where he's talking about Jesus is the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to go right to the to our text. Of whom, that's Christ, verse 11, we have much to say and hard to explain since or because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles, the basics of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food or meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is obeyed. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on, let us press on 
to completion or perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands of the resurrection of the dead and of the eternal judgment. And this we will do if, if God permits. For it is impossible for those who, have, who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift who become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they should fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to, to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears the herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. There are four exhortations in verse 11 through 6-1 to move on to, to maturity. If someone would ask you the question, how would you define spiritual immaturity? What would you say? I mean, you could turn that around and say, how would you define spiritual maturity? What comes to your mind when you think of somebody who's spiritually mature? Think of a hero in the faith, someone that you would want to model yourself after. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You need to have heroes in the faith. You need to pick your heroes well. And the, one of the ways that you should pick them is do they have the marks of spiritual maturity? What would the marks of spiritual maturity be that you would want to pursue or, or model after? Turn that around. What does a spiritually immature person look like? Well, if there's anything relevant, I think, to the American church today, it would be the topic of spiritual maturity. I mean, we have money, we have buildings, we have material. But if you actually look at the marks the Bible gives, what indicates spiritual maturity, we would have to say the church is woefully inept. Faith, sacrifice, perseverance, sacrificial giving, discernment, ability in the Scriptures, strong moral witness are to name a few of the marks of maturity. I don't see a lot of faith. I don't see a lot of sacrifice. I don't see a lot of perseverance. I don't see a lot of sacrificial giving. I don't see a lot of discernment. Wow, do I not see a lot of discernment. Ability in the Scripture. Strong moral witness. All of those things in the Bible are associated with maturity. And more money and better programs won't create those things. But maturity is what God intends for us, and here He exhorts us to pursue it. And He does so because it holds a great promise. And that's the first exhortation to move on to maturity. If you would at verse 11. The first exhortation to move on to maturity is the promise of, of more. It's a promise of an un, unlimited or unending supply. He says, of whom we have much to say. We have much to say. Concerning Him or concerning this, we have, we have much to say. And he's just got done unfolding the high priestly office of the Lord Jesus Christ as it re relates to Melchizedek. 
Jesus is a high priest forever, given by God as the source of eternal salvation, the one that accomplishes the work of salvation on your behalf. And then the writer says, concerning this, or concerning Him, that is Christ and His work, we have much to say. I mean, that's an understatement of the century, isn't it? We have much to say. I mean, could you ever exhaust speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ? Could you ever come to a point where you say, if someone would be willing to listen, if there would be someone who is there to ask a question, could you ever say, no, I've reached the end, I don't have anything else to say about Jesus. Could you ever say that? The writer has spent the first five chapters rejoicing in who Christ is. I mean, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that, that Jesus is the revelation, the full and complete revelation of God, the Father. The Bible is complete. You have all of the revelation that God intends for us to have. No more, no more visions or dreams or anything else. You have the full revelation. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus Christ has come in His fullness to reveal the Father. And at the second coming, we won't have any more revelation other than what we have in the Bible until the second coming when Christ returns. And He's been talking about this for the first five chapters, rejoicing in who Christ is. And He says concerning Him, there is, is much more to say. The whole Bible is about Him. Luke twenty four twenty seven tells us that he's not exhausted. He's inexhaustible. John twenty one twenty five says, and and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if there should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. The reason, the first reason that Paul gives here, the first encouragement to move on to maturity in your Christian life is because there's so much more about Christ than you already know. It's just waiting for you to discover. It's easy to get in a spiritual funk. It's easy to, to drift. It's easy to come to the place where you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and Wednesday, or you go to your Bible studies, or whatever it is, and it becomes routine, isn't it? I felt it. Nobody's immune from that. And he's encouraging the believers here to move on to maturity. And the first encouragement he gives is because there's much more than what you already know. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. There's much more for you to know. In Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, there's a monument commemorating Christopher Columbus, the great discoverer. Perhaps one of the most interesting features about the memorial is that there's a statue of a lion gnawing or eating a three Latin words. So you get this statue of Christopher Columbus commemorating the, the, the discoverer, and then you look and there's, there are these three Latin words, and there's a lion eating the first word. And you, you, you look at that and think, that's, that's strange. And the words that the lion is eating has is, is been part, was part of Spain's motto for centuries. Before Columbus made his voyages, the Spaniards thought that they had reached the outer limits of the earth. We're done. We've, 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 we've reached the outer limits. There's nothing more. And their motto was, 
ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. There's no more beyond. That was the that was their their motto. And the word that the lion is eating on the statue of Columbus is the very first word, no. Making it read plus ultra, more beyond. Columbus had proven that there was indeed more beyond. Can I tell you that there is more beyond what you already know about Jesus? I mean, it's not just about the verses that you've memorized or, or what you understand about, about church. There's, there's much more beyond. And it's easy, without even recognizing it, to get to the place where you think no more beyond. Jesus is limitless. His truth is unending. In fact, I think it's, you, you can make a, a very clear biblical argument that one of the reasons for eternal heaven is because it will take all of eternity for us to know Him. John 17 says this is eternal life, that we would know Him, that we would, we would experience Him, that we would, we would know who God is. And we are finite and He is infinite. And it takes an infinite period of time to, to come to, to know Him. The song says, to know Him is to love Him. And, and I do. It will take a never-ending heaven to behold all of His beauty. One poet said, only an eternity could explain His majesty, even to the glorified mind. And only an eternity in hell could suffice as a just punishment for those who reject one so glorious. Hell is, is the opposite. Think about it. Even if you can plumb the depths of His mercy or the heights of His compassion, lamentation says that they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He never changes and it, it never ends. Now, there's nothing about God. God doesn't renew Himself every morning. It's a, it's a statement that basically says it's limitless. His, His mercies are new every morning. You can't exhaust them. Whatever He exhausted the day before is, is not even scratching the, the surface. So we're encouraged to move on to maturity, not fall to spiritual immaturity, if you want to say it in a negative way, because there's so much more. Let me ask you, are you maturing in Christ? When was the last time you got excited about truth? When was the last time that you learned something, something new? Now, I'm not knocking faithfulness. I mean, uh, I don't think there's this, there's this false dichotomy between you know, being faithful and obeying and doing what you know to do and then, and then spiritual growth or, or excitement. As if what you need to do is throw off all of the, all of the blocking and tackling and, and going through the motions that you know to do. You need to go through the motions. You need to be faithful. You need to do what the Bible says to do. You need to come to church. You need to pray. You need to give. You need to do all of those things. But if you find deadness in that, don't stop doing those things. Pray that God would, would bring life to those things. Is it possible that You've been in church so long that you would never say it out loud, but deep down you think you pretty much got most of it figured out. 
You never say that. But you really think if you if you evaluate, you know, I probably got a little bit more to learn, but don't let complacency lead you to settle for mediocrity. There is much, much more. There's much more that God wants to show us because He is limitless. And we're also warned warned about a problem. It's also found in verse 11. The second exhortation to move on to maturity is is the problem of decline. He says, of whom we have much more to say. And it's hard to explain. It's hard to tell you more. That's basically what he's saying. Why? Because you have become dull of hearing, or since you've become dull of, of hearing. He presents a problem, basically. He has much more to teach him, teach them, but they can't grasp it because they have become dull of hearing. It's hard to explain. Now, we've talked about this before. The Bible contains hard texts. There's no question about that. Peter acknowledges that. Peter says there are certain things that Paul taught that's difficult. You can't explain completely the Trinity. No one has ever, nor do I believe that they ever will, be able to reconcile God's absolute sovereignty and man's unqualified responsibility and figure out how those two things intersect. So God asks us to pigeonhole some of those texts till we understand some things. But that's not what he's talking about here, hard to explain. He's not talking about hard text. He's not talking about the Trinity. He's not talking about some contemplate your naval theological conundrum here. What he's talking about with hard to explain is it's hard to explain to them, he tells us, since you've become dull of hearing. It's difficult to explain because they've become sluggish. That's what the word literally means. Sluggish in reference to learning. Slow to pick up. And I want you to notice that they had come to this position, which means that they weren't always this way. It's the, the verb's in a perfect. It's, it's a state that, that's happened sometime in the past and it has continuing results. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. It's, he's painting a picture here of someone who is sliding backwards. There's a problem of decline in their, in their spiritual life. It, all of these things indicate a decline, a degeneration from where they, where they started. They didn't start this way. It changed after the fact. Paul says there's so much more about Christ I mean, there's, a, there's an unlimited supply, and I would love to communicate that to you, to teach you, but it's, it's hard for me to get that across because you've become sluggish, dull of, of hearing. Here are people who, who were professing to be saved and, and had all they needed to grow and even desired, desired growth at one point, but they've become dull can teach them many new things because they're sluggish of heart. 
when you look at your spiritual life, do you see a progress forward? Do you, do you see growth? Um, now, I'm not talking about getting myopic and looking daily or, or even last week. Hopefully, God did something great in your life last week. I'm talking about standing back and giving an honest evaluation. A mature person has the ability to own what is true and also reject what is not. So I'm not talking about just, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't grow. Yeah, yeah, I need... That's not a spiritually mature person. A spiritually mature person has the ability to discern, which he's going to tell us in a minute. Has the ability to own what is true, which means to give an honest evaluation of your spiritual life. Own what is true and say, no, that's not true about me. So stand back and look at your life. Look at, look at the big picture. Do you see growth? Do you see growth or do you see a slide backwards? Do you see a dullness? Do you see a heart of, of, of hearing? When you stop growing, it's not because there's not more to learn. <laughs> And it's not because that's God's intent. It's because somewhere along the line we've become sluggish towards the disciplines probably that we've once had and and then we grow hard of, of hearing. Of course, sin can make us hard of, of hearing. And verse 12 tells us it should not be that way. Verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. I mean, that's a, that is a strong rebuke. Followed up with an even stronger rebuke. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. Literally, by this time you should be obligated to teach. Now, there's some sarcasm here. But he's saying the issue is, is not time, it's temperature. If you haven't had time to grow, if you're a new believer, you haven't had the opportunity, he's not talking to you. He's talking to those of us who have been saved for a period of time when we've had time to grow. The issue is not time, the issue is temperature. It's, it's not that there's not more to learn, it's that our hearts become dull of, of hearing. He says you should be teaching others, but instead you need to be taught. I want you to notice that there's an expectation of growth and service for every Christian. There's an expectation of growth and there's an expectation of service, even if it's in sarcasm. You you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teaching others. You ought to be serving. It also implies that every believer is a a teacher. You say, I can't teach. Why? Has not enough time passed? If it has, then why can't you? you? You know the Great Commission, right? We were to go and to make disciples, baptizing them, and then what? Teaching them all things, whatsoever things I've commanded you. You've got something to offer somebody. It's not just for pastors or Sunday school teachers, but it's for all believers to know the Word and be able to communicate that. They need to be re-instructed. The elementary principles, that's the basics. The oracles of God, that's the Old Testament promises that laid the foundation for Christ's coming. They need to go back and listen to the Foundation series again. They didn't get it the first time, or they've become dull of hearing. How much do you really know about Christ? How much do you really know about the doctrine 
of glorification. Must she really know about the doctrine of depravity? Must she really know about eschatology, last things? How much do you, do you really know about the doctrine of regeneration? Do you find if you give a candid evaluation of your knowledge of Christianity, it would, it would consist of the most basic principles? Oh, I mean, I am, I'm amazed at times. I know I've got initials in front of my name and, and after my name, but I mean, I'm a country boy from West Virginia. I grew up on Fire Creek Road, okay? Fire Creek Road. I'm not, I'm not super smart. And I know that there are many people in here who, who may have differing levels of, of abilities, but everybody in here has got a brain and everybody in here is intelligent and articulate in your own way. And I know that, that you can know more than the basic and elementary principles of Christ. You have the Spirit of the living God in you who is to teach you these things. It's not bad to know the basics. But it's the least, not the most. And there's so much more. I've shared this with you before. One of the things I found fascinating when I did my dissertation, and the second half of it was to go back and look at confessions and statements of faith of Baptists all the way back to the 1600s up through 2000. And in evaluating all of the Baptist confessions of faith from 1600 to 2000, one of the fascinating things that I began to discover was back in the 1600s, 1700s, and even up to the 1800s, they were, they were really long. I mean, you would read some of them today and go, what? I mean, one section was like a page long, and it wasn't just filled with Scripture references. I mean, it had articulated, this is what we believe about the church. This is what we believe about the deity of Christ. It wasn't just a paragraph. And what I saw was, was the longer time went on, the shorter and the more diffused and the more general those statements became because our purpose changed. It used to be that we wanted to make sure that everybody knew what we believed. And we wanted to be particular about our doctrine. Today, we want, to, we want to make the tent as wide as possible to make everybody as comfortable as possible to, to bring as many people in because we don't want to, we don't want to divide over, over doctrinal things. We want to just include the basics. It's a whole lot more than basics. It's the very beginning, but there's much more. And, and if you live your Christian life that way, you're going you're gonna to have a shallow, shallow experience. The more you know about Christ, the more you know about God, the more you know about the Bible, the deeper you love Him, the more you will experience who He is and what He's accomplished. And this warning is so they won't fall away. It's possible to get so dull that life that's in you is almost indiscernible. Now, I don't think this passage in any way teaches that you can lose your salvation. I think that's exactly what, what the, the writer is saying when he says in verse 9, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He's giving a hypothetical situation, but it's possible. 
It gets so dull where life is almost indiscernible. He says the oracles of God are the starting point, just like an infant who needs milk, but you've returned there. Look at the second half of verse 12. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. The word for for infant here is strong. You, you've become like an infant. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, and he is a babe. He's a, he's a suckling. This is not a young man. This is a, this is a suckling baby. This is a nursing child. And they're so cute, aren't they? I mean, they are, they're adorable. But then they cry and they mess all over themselves and you have to change their diapers and they have no control over their arms and their legs and their mouth and He's saying, as I look at your Christianity, it's on, the, it's on the pacifier level. I mean, this is a strong rebuke. Now, get, take some perspective here with the illustration. When we call someone who's aged physically, time has passed, but they remain a young person mentally, we call them handicapped. What would you say if you saw an adult who, who consumed only milk out of a baby bottle? Let's say you invited somebody to lunch after church, and you take them to Texas Roadhouse or wherever it is, and the menu comes and they say, I, I don't need it. And, and you think, well, I don't want to ask. Maybe they're fasting or maybe they're on a diet or something like that. And when the meal comes, they reach down in their purse or, or they reach down in you know, beside them, and they pull a baby bottle out, and this is a full-grown adult, and they start sucking on the baby bottle there in the middle of the restaurant. What would you think? That's really strange. That's very, very out of place. I'd probably call, I don't know, Center Health or something. I'm not sure. But when you see a baby do that, if you're in the same restaurant, and you see a mother there with a blanket over her nursing her child, or you see... You see someone pull out a pacifier and give it to to a baby. You don't think anything of that. Paul's saying, you're an adult. You're a grown person. This shouldn't be the case. You're spiritually immature to the point that it should be shocking, is what he's saying. And then infants make messes, spiritually immature make messes, and and many churches are, are a mess because they're adult infants running around who should be teaching others, but they're still on milk and they lack maturity. They make messes of themselves. They make messes of the church. They make messes of decisions. They're high maintenance. They're dependents, not yoke fellow. They're not pulling. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul gives the same characteristics of the immature there. He says immature Christians are unskilled in the Word. He says they're not able to comprehend the deeper truths, truths they feed on the basics. He says immature Christians in 1 Corinthians 3 are not spiritual men or women. Paul said, I cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but carnal. Immature Christians, according to 1 Corinthians 3, are characterized by jealousy and strife. They... They cause fights in the body. He says, for you are still fleshly since there is jealousy and strife among you. He says, 
the reason that I can call you not spiritual but carnal is because there's the evidence is the jealousy and the strife that, that is among you. And immature Christians look a lot like the unsaved world. 1 Corinthians 3. And are you not walking like mere men, Paul says? So this is not truth only taught in, in the book of, of Hebrews. And that's a problem, isn't it? Great promise of unlimited supply. There's so much more. There's the problem of decline. God wants us to move on to maturity, so He gives a, gives a pattern for us to, to follow. It's the third exhortation. There's the, the pattern of adulthood. Look at verse 14. Here's the, the contrast. You see it starts with the word but. But solid food belongs to those who are of full of age, those who are adults, those who are, are mature, literally. That's what the word is. That is, what's a mature person look like? Writer of Hebrews, here's your definition. That is, those who by reason of use, those by reason of practice, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There is a wonderful definition of maturity. It's someone who by, by practice by use of their senses exercised and they get to the place where they can discern what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is, is wrong. It becomes natural to them. He says solid food is for the mature, full of age, strong meat. Theology is not just for the seminarians. He says that mature believers feed on, on those things. Somebody who's full of age is, uh, is, a, is a person who assumes adult responsibilities. And that's the pattern that we're to be moving toward. Adult, developed, responsible believers that feed on the wealth of the truth of, of God's Word because Christians like that know how to live. Those who are not mature believers... He calls babes. The, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They, they practice the Word of God. They train their senses. Um, the Bible gives a lot of pictures of training. And it's, it's, it's not just instant spirituality. Um, if you've ever had to, to, to train, whether it's for a job or for a marathon or for hunting or for, for sports or for whatever it is, it takes a lot of work and it takes repetition and it takes something daily. I can remember whenever I was a kid playing basketball, my dad told me, if you ever want to get good at basketball, you need to go out and shoot free throws every single day. You need to shoot 100 free throws every single day. I never got good in basketball because I never shot the three throws. I'm not that athletic from that standpoint anyway. But he told me I was not athletic. But I dedicated myself to shoot 100 free throws every day and I got to the point where I could make the majority of them through practice. Here, a believer practices or trains their senses. They become skilled in living 
They're unlike an infant who is dull and unskilled, flailing about, messing on themselves and everyone else around. By practice or reason of use, it becomes a habit. They do it and they get a little more and they do it again and they learn and it becomes part of them and it becomes ready ready knowledge. One of the great blessings of, of exposition is sanctification happens. It's almost indiscernible at times. Yes, God's going to move in your life in dramatic ways. Where, I mean, you man, God moved in my life in that sermon this morning. But if you set under biblical truth and you set under it over and over and over, what you will find is there's a growth that is happening as you practice studying the Scriptures and listening and hearing your, your palate will begin to change. You'll begin to be hungry for the Word of, of, of God. Have you ever went to another church on vacation? I mean, you're, you're at Timberlake Sunday after Sunday in your Sunday school class and, and you're listening to the preaching and the teaching and whatever else, and it almost gets to the point where it's routine, and then you go on vacation and you go to another church and, and you go, wow, I really like my church. I really like my Sunday school teacher. And you realize it's, it's almost indiscernible. You know it when it's, when, it's, when it's not there. The pattern that God gives here is, is the senses are exercised to discern both, both good and, and evil. It's, it's just as it's natural for a baby only to know to cry, so it becomes natural for a spiritually mature man or woman to know what pleases God and what doesn't, and then do it. You remember as a young believer just struggling to figure out what I should do, what would please God in this situation. And I still struggle to try to figure out what would please God in a situation. But the things that I used to try to figure out, you know, I don't know, what, what would God want me to do in this situation? It's natural now. This becomes natural. And that comes through through training, having your senses trained. Spiritually mature person that becomes part of them. And they don't have to run back to the Bible every single time to make a decision because the Bible becomes part of their life. It's part of their thinking. If you're a new Christian, take heart. The basics won't be hard forever. Just keep working at it. If you've been saved for a while, longer than five years, no magic number, but it's probably a pretty good one, and you lack discernment, you need to constantly practice the Word. You need to get busy. You need to move on. You need to press on. And part of that's not just knowledge, but it's practice. It's putting it in practice. Fourth exhortation to move on to maturity is the push, the command to pursue it. The command to pursue it is, command starts with a C, and it would have messed up my whole outline there. So, I put the word push. But look at verse 6, or verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, let us press on, let us go on to... Perfection or maturity. Let us press on to perfection. Let us press on is, is an interesting phrase. It's, a, it's what's called a divine passive. 
It means, let us be carried on to maturity. It has the idea of, of, a, of a personal surrender to active influence. The writer is, is emphasizing here that just like your salvation, God has taken responsibility for your sanctification. He's emphasizing here what, what Romans says. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. God doesn't leave you at the altar of salvation. He's promised to complete the good work that He began. He's promised to sanctify you. He's promised to complete you in the Lord Jesus and present you faultless before the throne, not losing one of us. Salvation is where it begins for us. Sanctification, the process of of maturity and change and being conformed to the image of Christ through our life, and then glorification, what happens at the moment you're translated into heaven. Let us be carried on to maturity. It's a command, but it's a, it's a, it has the, the idea of hope. You're not in this alone. This, this task of spiritual maturity is not up to you completely. You're not left helpless or hopeless it's not a bootstrap sanctification. Oh, it takes work. And if you've ever gone through the process of sanctification, you know that you have a task to persevere and apply yourself, but you also know that you haven't grown one single ounce apart from the help of the Lord, have you? And yet the Spirit lives in you. He's not passive. He's active. Even though when we're passive, God is is active. You say, I can't mature, I've tried, or I try and I fail. God wants to encourage you that He is the one who has taken responsibility. Ultimately, your job is to strive and and to obey where the Word leads and then trust God for the growth. It's it's to let Him shine the Word at your feet and take the next step and then another and, and then another. You ever tackled a project... And you stand back and look at the project. I'm thinking of a number of projects at my house right now. You ever looked at a project and it's just like, I mean, I'm just overwhelmed. I mean, I'm just, I mean it's just so out of order. You know, my garage, I want to keep the door shut all the time because where the car parks, it's, it's okay. Where my lawnmower and the tools and everything else and... Life gets busy and you bring the shovels back in and you put them in the bucket and then one gets, the rake gets leaned up against the wall and, and you look at the garage and go, wow, I need to clean the garage. Every time I walk through the garage, I need to clean the garage. Every time I walk through the garage. And then I'll have a couple hours on Saturday and a couple hours to clean the garage. It'd take two days to clean the garage and it's just completely overwhelming. I mean, when you look at your spiritual life, when you look at, at being conformed to the image of Christ, you're growing. Sometimes it can just be overwhelming. How can I ever overcome that? How can I ever get to the next level? And, and God is saying, don't look at your Christian life like the garage. He's, he's saying, start with the rake. Start with the shovel. You know, Take the hour that you have and sweep the floor and leave the rest for the next time that you have an hour. Put one step in front of the other. Take whatever you learned in the sermon this morning and ask God to help you apply it this week. 
Take one truth that you learned tonight. Take one of these exhortations and, and work on it. Don't stand back and look at it and get so overwhelmed that you don't do anything. Analysis paralysis, as it's been, it's been called. Let Him shine the Word at your feet and then take the next step and another and on and on. Disobedience kills spiritual growth. Obedience keeps it going and then God does the maturing. He commands us to leave the basics behind and move on to adulthood. And when you become adult, you don't forget what it's like being an infant. You've already lived through that. You don't forget the basics, but maturity is your goal. You ready? Ready to strive for maturity? Pursue it. Pursue it.